We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pools on tools. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. KC Laboratory, sponsored by Emprise Bank. It's a live edition of the KC Laboratory presented by Emprise Bank. A bank is more than a building down the street. It's a partnership for some of life's biggest joys and obstacles. Emprise Bank has all the tools for your rainy days, your snowy days if you're in Kansas City, and your brightest moments in life. They're your partner in Possible. Sign up online for an account today and let them be part of your journey. I love being part of these two gentlemen's journeys. First, find them on Twitter at Maddie underscore Casey is in Matthew Lane. Hi. Hello. How's the journey? Well, you know, the journey's better today. I didn't come into this this chat and just immediately get roasted by you. So that's <laughs> a step up from yesterday uh, post game. So I, I have to say my self-confidence is, is flying high. We made it. You know, a minute and a half into the show, and I have not been insulted by Kent yet. So we, we call this a win, Craig. Did you get a haircut? Yeah. <laughs> no. Is that why you were covering it up? Anyway, sorry, Matt. Hi, hi, Craig. Hi, guys. Uh, <laughs> speaking of wins, um, Chiefs coming off of another one. The Bills are not. Kansas City sitting pretty right now. Whole division lost yesterday, and the Bills. Like, you can't ask for a whole lot more if you're a Chiefs fan. I mean, and the rookie class showed out. And Kadarius Tony showed out, and Patrick Mahomes took a commanding lead in the MVP race. Uh, this rules. This is awesome. There's a lot to be excited about. And the funny thing is, like, I I think when I look at like if, if this felt more like a, uh, a a take a deep breath game than it did like most of the games that we've seen this season, where <laughs> you know the Chiefs led wire to wire. Um, they, the game was never really in doubt all that much, you know, it kind of just felt like relative to what we've seen a lot this year, like even the Titans game last year or last week was supposed to be, you know, 
uh, a late night party in Arrowhead and it wasn't, it was a stress, a big ball of stress. And I just, it was nice at least to just kind of have a game where you could breathe a little bit more easily than you have in the last two months and change. Well, it's funny that you say that because the game started with an onside kick that the Jaguars got <laughs> the chiefs, you know, had another uh, fumble in the first half on special teams. Like the team was making plenty of mental mistakes that were making the game. I don't want to say close, but it, they stopped it from being a complete and utter blowout. I mean, there was the fumble on the chiefs first possession as well. I forgot about that one from Pacheco. So like the game could have been a blowout in the first quarter in the first half. And the chiefs made a bunch of mistakes that seemed like it would allow the Jaguars to hang in there. And then right before half, the Jaguars get an offensive possession, which they get some rhythm. They go score a touchdown. They get a little bit of rhythm on offense. They actually carried that well into the second half and scored again coming out of halftime. So like all of a sudden, they made the game and actually a close game. But I'm with you. At no point in time did the game ever feel close. It felt like the Chiefs were the better team from the get-go. It didn't feel like the Colts game where, yeah, maybe they were better, but they were just playing really bad. These seemed like earnest mistakes that were costing the better team and making it look close. Like, at no point in time was I concerned. It's just funny how that game played out that way, as many accidents as the Chiefs had. I think it's kind of a microcosm of the Chiefs season right now. I mean, we're all aware that the Chiefs offense has scored the most points in the league, despite some teams playing more games than they have at this point. They, <laughs> they are leading all teams in the number of points that they've scored. Do you guys also know that they have the fourth least drives in the NFL because of special teams errors, because the defense is also the third worst at turning the ball over and the chiefs are, you know, right about middle of the pack at turning the ball over on offense there. They have a kicker right now that is currently third worst in extra point percentage and tied for the worst in field goal percentage, along with two other kickers that the Chiefs had in Matt Hamandola and Matthew Wright. So really good job picking those guys. All of those things being said, it, it kind of is a microcosm of this Jaguars game. There are so many things that you look at and you're like, man, I can see this going a lot of different ways because of how sloppy it was, because of how things happened, because of an inability to take care of the ball, play good special teams. And it just doesn't matter because the offense comes out and they're able to score points anyway. I think we look at this team routinely, this Chiefs team, and we say, imagine if they just didn't shoot themselves in the foot once or twice or three times a game, what this team would actually do. And that's scary to think about because they're already at the very tippy top of the list, basically, in the NFL right now. Well, it's just kind of funny because we sit here and we get stressed about consistency beating man coverage mm -hmm. and and some of that kind of stuff but you know protecting Mahomes uh you know three three rushers in a in a in a in a, a late addition with a spy you know all these things we talk about we're getting all these concerns and here they are sitting here with a dominant offense uh that hasn't missed Tyreek Hill very much uh and it's just kind of funny to it's just kind of funny to see like you know, I think it, it just speaks to how we all look at this team. And it's it's probably a good thing to bring it up from time to time. We try to bring it up from time to time. We don't live week to week with this team always. It's sometimes about the long-term outlook of this team winning a Super Bowl. And so when we're bringing up things like, you know, concern against man coverage and being consistent there and can guys win and those kind of things, it's, 
is that the thing that's going to slip this team up in in a in a do or die game to try to you know win a Super Bowl? You know, are they going to need to run the ball at times successfully? <laughs> like, no, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I, I purposefully didn't bring it up for a reason in all of that litany of things that aren't going right. <laughs> well, it got solved this week because Isaiah Pacheco took 56% of the snaps at the running back position. Uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire, I believe, only took, I think it was 6% with four total snaps for the day. Um, let's just start there. Wild to see the running back rotation kind of flip on its head the way it has as drastically as it has. Like, I. I don't want to say like Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been disappointing, but just to see just such a drastic fall of snaps is just, it was kind of jarring seeing the numbers afterwards. No, for sure. And I think when the Pacheco announcement was first made and then the Chiefs came out and the snap counts were the same as they always had been, the concept made sense. The Chiefs run the ball more in the scripted 15 plays because that is the Andy has six days to essentially pick his run plays that aren't going to change <laughs> that he can put in there. So it makes sense to give your who you want to be or who you see as your best runner out there for those plays. And then once you get into the flow of the game where Andy's calling in rhythm and you can hear that as calling pass plays only, like that's fine. That's what happens. It makes sense to no longer have your best runner out there if he's not your best guy in pass protection, if he's not your best receiver out of the backfield. So I was surprised to see them come around and just not play Clyde Zilaire at all versus the Jaguars, <laughs> essentially. Like that caught me off guard. I thought what we had seen, you know, against the Titans with Pacheco being, you know, again, the quote unquote starter was what to anticipate. Him getting early rushing reps, maybe sprinkled in throughout the rest of the game, but that was it. But then he was the guy. Now, I know McKinnon was hurt and that could have played a role into some of the snap counts, but he still got the important third and long snaps. Like he still played the second most. And it was just simply Clyde didn't play even after Pacheco fumbled, and even early in the game when the Chiefs weren't having a ton of success running the ball, Clyde didn't play. So I, I think that tells you everything you need to know. I mean, yeah, it really does. Like, this game was pretty much put away at the end of the game, and the Chiefs were just riding with Isaiah Pacheco. We've seen them trust Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in some crucial situations, some fourth down runs. Like, they put the ball in his hands and said, hey, go get us this one. They did that with Isaiah Pacheco today. And... They did that with Jarek McKinnon, you know, a flaring out of the backfield when they were down so many receivers. It wasn't them turning to Clyde Edwards Lair and saying, Hey, man, we're going to put you on that angle route. And we're just going to keep feeding you. No, it was Jarek McKinnon out in the flat making guys miss. It was Jarek McKinnon being an elite pass protector, which he is. I mean, it, it seems pretty clear right now that Isaiah Pacheco is the early down back. And Jarek McKinnon is your third down back. And after this week, I have a lot of questions about the other running backs in the room and their importance here. And the entire reason for keeping some of them on the 53-man roster through 10 weeks of the season at this point. Now, I get that there's injuries. I get that there's attrition. But it seems like Andy has locked himself into those two guys. And he wants to keep riding those two guys. I think that those other, I think Clyde edwards Dillard and Ronald Jones are just here in case of emergency at this point. And that is a little bit scary to think about if you are a guy that, like myself, thought that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did still have something to offer to this offense. Um, a couple of things. I don't think... I don't think Clyde's just, like, dead in the water yet. Like, I still think there will probably be some moments this year where he'll get some opportunities. 
Um, it was a bad look this week, though. It was a tough look. They didn't lean on him in any way, shape, or form. When they did try to get him involved, they targeted him two straight plays, and I, one was not catchable. One might have been catchable. But they tried to get him involved in the passing game twice, and it didn't work. Neither play worked. Back-to-back plays, and he was just kind of... I mean, they they he if I think he, them I think they might have wind up killing that drive too if I remember correctly because I think they got to a third and ten I don't think they finished that possession I could be wrong though uh, Matty looks like he's about to correct me but he might know um, <clears throat> I'll look it up in a little bit but like I, I they I was did just, not get a first down I don't think they did um, and so yeah they just went to um, they went to Jarek McKinnon in some of those passing situations whose injury report le- reads like head shoulders knees and toes. Um, obviously Isaiah Pacheco got a big chunk of the plays as well. And it's just, I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't think he's completely out forever because we've seen even how fickle the running back rotation has been the last few weeks. But if you, I don't, I, I don't think Isaiah Pacheco has done anything to not earn more opportunities to carry the football because the chiefs lack explosion, physicality, and violence at the running back position. I don't think that they, I don't, Clyde Edwards Alaire cannot get you a tough yard. I think we've kind of become resigned to that. It's very difficult for him to get a tough yard at this point. I think Isaiah Pacheco has the potential to be a guy that can do that a little bit more consistently. So I do want to get back and rewatch the whole game because I do wonder if it was scheme driven. Like I, in the back of my mind, I still wonder if it was a specific game plan to use Pacheco because I'm thinking through some of the runs I remember in my head. There's a Trey Smith pull and a kick out. There's a Joe Tooney pull and a kick out. Like in my mind, I'm just remembering some that do have pulling blockers, which means you're usually running some kind of power or counter. And not that I don't think Clyde is better on those than he has zone runs as well. It's just that is also probably what Pacheco is even better at than him. The way he hits it downhill, the way he is going to run aggressively. So I do just happen to wonder if this was a game where the Chiefs came out, whatever it was about the Jaguars front seven, they said, we're going to pull a lot on this particular game. You didn't get any of the pin and pull sweeps and stuff on the outside like you saw against the Bucks. But the last time the Chiefs had a pull heavy run game, a man blocking heavy run game, Pacheco did get a lot more run. So did Clyde, but Pacheco did too. So I do wonder partially if it's a schematic thing, but then, I mean, at the end of the day, the guy fumbled. They tried to put Clyde in there for some receiving stuff. Like it just never caught on. I don't think that you would scheme somebody that you plan on using entirely out of not a a pivotal game, but still a game that was too close for comfort at times. You wouldn't just completely erase him from the game plan altogether. No, I wouldn't think that you would either. And it could just be as simple as, you know, Jaguars playing odd front, you know, Bucks playing odd front. Maybe it's just, hey, we're going to we're going to line up. We're going to run some more of that stuff. And so we're going to give it to this guy because he runs better in those schemes. And if that's the case, fine. I know which guy I, I, I think runs harder. I know which guy I trust <laughs> to pick up tough yardage a little bit more. I know which guy that I think can make the biggest plays as well. And they all happen to be the same guy right now right this very moment so i look at that and i say yes i understand it the vision's not nearly as good as clyde's is maybe some different schemes are gonna you know not maximize them in that way but i want to see him touch the ball as much as possible if they're going to lean on the run anymore because he is truly a dynamic player 
that earns tough yards. And frankly, that's all the Chiefs need out of their run game at this point. They don't need a guy that they can hand the ball off to 30 times because that's not the way this offense operates. Give him the ball 12 to 15 times. Have him earn some tough yards. Make those linebackers think twice about dropping so quick into coverage and then try and take advantage of stuff over the top. I'm going to hand the ball off to Tucker D. Franklin right now. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but I have to tell you about some of these strange tall boys of beer that you might see in the bottled water section of your favorite store. Well, it's not actually beer. It's a liquid mountain spring water company from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. And you might be wondering, Tucker, why is it called Liquid Death? Well, let me tell you, it's because they'll brutally murder your thirst. That's right. Not only are they going to brutally murder your thirst, they are going to brutally murder plastic pollution in the process. It's wonderful with their infinitely recyclable aluminum cans. They also donate 10% of their proceeds from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. It's great. They've got four flavors. They have regular sparkling water. They've got still water, which is the mountain spring water. And they have a uh, mango. They have uh, berry flavored and they also have the one i like here the severed lime i'm gonna go ahead and crack it on open and you can get a liquid death at your local target walmart 7-eleven or find a liquid death retailer near you with their store located tool at liquiddeath.com slash kcsn that's liquiddeath.com slash kcsn we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button if you're watching, leave a comment um, if if you uh, if you like what's going on here at KC Sports Network. Uh, more likes and more subscribes helps us grow the channel, helps more Chiefs fans find it. Um, you know, I I think the next place we got to go is the, I, the thing that geeked me out the most about this game. And I think the thing that geeked most fans out about this game, um, Kadarius Tony just hit the scene in a big way. Uh, it was so much T. Darius Tony says Wyoder 05. I he was so much fun to watch. And like I, I, I don't know, like it was hard to have a ton of expectations about Kadarius Tony because we've seen him in a very limited sample size in the NFL. There's all these question marks about his health, which it might have <laughs> you know, maybe they weren't as bad as we thought. Maybe he's just trying to get out of New York, but getting to see Kadarius Tony thriving looking really good early on just so much fun you know it it absolutely was uh and this was it was kind of the perfect game to get it with McCole Hardman not being able with not being available and then you know unfortunately Juju Smith-Schuster getting knocked out of the game now Tony was a factor before then 
but that just left a lot of potential opportunities for Kadarius Tony to get on the field and show what he can do and be in this offense. And I mean, can't nail it. He gave this offense a level of excitement that has not really existed outside of Patrick Mahomes, right? Travis Kelsey makes huge plays, but as he gets older in his career, you know, it's a lot fewer times where he gets you up completely out of your chair to watch what he is doing on a particular play. You kind of miss that with Tyree Kill gone. That, that is one area the Chiefs, I do think, have missed Tyree Kill. Now Tony comes in and he can he can do that. He comes out and has some electric runs after the catch. He has the big, you know, high-pointing reception. He's hopping into the end zone when left entirely wide open for absolutely <laughs> no reason. So like he brought a lot of excitement and dynamic ability to a off, you know, a wide receiver room that, yeah, they've hit some long plays to a Justin Watson or an MVS, but it just weren't the same. They weren't what those plays were. And so that has to get you excited as a Chiefs fan. And if you're a defense, you know, coming to the face of Chiefs, you're probably getting a little worried the longer he's around KC and what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think that there is boundless optimism for Kadarius Tonley at this point. Like, and there should be because he, he does. He brings juice. He moves different. You know, all those things that we've talked about for the past little while here. Let me try and take a step back from this because I know no. that Chiefs fan. I mean, I can I can just let this ride and let the glory of all this no, ride. I do want it. I, wet blanket it. I mean, it is still manufactured touches, which are fine. They're absolutely It'll. fine. And for the next three years, if he is getting the exact same touches that McCall Hardman is getting, it is worth every bit of the picks that they gave up for him and more. Frankly, I mean, because he's going to bring so much to this offense. I want to see more from the wide receiver point of view. I, I think we've seen some of the chip help that he's brought in or brought as a condensed receiver. I think we've seen some of the you know pivot and swivel route stuff that he has done. We have certainly seen him go up and get a ball. Those are all very positive indicators. However, they still aren't trusting him to just go out there and win on the route tree. It's still manufactured stuff. It's still trying to use that athletic ability. And I don't mean that in a bad way because it's his best trait and they should absolutely be using it. However, I want to see a few more wide receiver things before we turn around and we sort of anoint this as the best thing ever before we get <laughs> off on that. Because trust me, he starts showing some of those. I'm right there with every single one of you. I'm going to be, I'm going to be marching down that street as well. But I do want to see a couple more things within the system, within the route progression, within some of that stuff before we start really going off as Kadarius Tony is going to be a 1,500-yard receiver and score all these touchdowns for the next three years and all of that. I hope that's the case. We just need to see a little bit more first. There's going to be so many Kadarius Tony season Twitter accounts like in the next week. <laughs> like, like Tony season as the And I get it. I get it. The the excitement's there. And I get it. He doesn't have to have a 15-yard season for me to be geeked out about him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing I look at. It's like... it's kind of like how, like, we got really high. Like, I think about, like, in the draft, we got really, really excited about seventh-round picks. Because seventh-round pick, like, when when the draft happened, we were geeked out about what the Chiefs did all the way through to round seven. And it was, like, excitement about Jalen Watson in the context of, like, getting Jalen Watson in round seven, right? There's mm-hmm. there's some reason to be excited there because we thought he could be a contributor, and you know that's that's potentially great value. Same with like Isaiah Pacheco, we thought these were guys that had potential for good value relative to their draft slot. 
And I look at Kadarius Tony, and I look at what he is doing relative to what the Chiefs gave up to acquire him, and that gets me just equally excited because I look at a guy, and it's I get labeled a McColl hater all the time, but I, McColl can't do some of the things that they're able to do, like that that Kadarius Tony is able to do with some of those manufactured touches. You only have so many of those to go around. You can't just like it can't be both of these guys getting the same kind of volume that they got this, you know, both of them combined. You can't do that. I get geeked out because I'm seeing what I see what Kadarius Tony is able to do with some of these things. And it's different. It's juice. It's more explosion. And that's crazy to say for a guy like McColl with great speed, but the way Tony moves, let he, he creates more yards. He created more yards. He bounced off contact, showed some of that short ear quickness, some adjustments on altering his path a little bit, stop and start. I see all these little elements here and I'm just like, I'm, I'm geeked out about getting this guy for basically three and a half or three more years after this, the remainder of this season, which I, he's going to be a bigger factor than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. And they did all this for a third round pick for the, the last pick in the third round. And I, 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 I'm very excited about the whole picture very quickly. It didn't take. So, long. I, I think long term, I, I don't think everybody should have that same feeling because long term, you've already seen in just that game and just like even these two games, you've seen kind of what the floor is for Tony when he's healthy, right? When he is healthy, he is taking this McColl role and arguably going to be more dangerous in that role because he can make guys miss as good as McColl is on these jet sweeps and catching stuff out in the flats. He's explosive. He's fast. He can accelerate like crazy. He doesn't really make a lot of guys miss. He's still pretty linear. He can outrun angles, but he doesn't make guys miss. Tony can do that. And then he's shown there's some level of ball skill there that might not be there for McColl, right? So the absolute floor in the future is what McColl is doing, that general role, doing it a little differently, but it's hard to not see how it would be better. My one, I don't want to say question, but my concern is what does that do this year when McColl comes back? Like, okay, mm -hmm. let's say he is better than McColl this year, but how much better is he in these same these same ways, especially still learning the playbook? How much better did the Chiefs get this year if both of those guys still just need manufactured jet sweep touches and need to be one read plays that is only going to them to really be effective? What? How much better does that make them this year? I don't know. I don't. That doesn't make the move bad. It's just that is my one thing that I'm still questioning a little bit is how do those two pieces work together for this Chiefs team this year because to Craig's point neither one of them are really operating as full-time you know receivers on a full route tree as part of the progressions to either side of the field for the Chiefs a lot of times they're running clear out routes second reaction plays or getting design touches yeah I and, and that's probably why Andy Reid threw a little bit of a wet blanket on Kadarius Tony when he first showed up you know he, he knows he's McColl's there he knows that McColl knows the playbook. He knows that he can run the full gamut of things with McColl on the field. They can use him and give some more options maybe there. Now, obviously, you thrust Kadarius Tony in the role, he looks really good. And we're now to the point where maybe he showed enough in the past you know, two games here with limited time on the field. Maybe he's shown enough where Andy Reid's going, all right, let's put more on the plate. Let, let's just keep you know, heaping piles on top of this plate and trying to get more and more Kadarius Tony as part of the game plan. It's certainly working when they get him the ball. He is certainly dynamic. And so far, like I, I want to see him with the ball in his hands more. So if that's what it is, if that's what this all is, and this is just accelerating 
him to basically where they'd hoped he might get to at the start of next year, but you can get it maybe at the end of December, man, that that is a really scary thought for some of the other AFC playoff teams to think that you can add that explosive athlete to the Chiefs offense and, and really get something out of him this year. One more thing before we move on to defense. Um, mm-hmm. it, and it's, it's about Kadarius. I, I, one thing I really liked is like that fade route to, to Kadarius. I don't know if it's like it's it's either it's 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 a couple things. I, it's it's trying to it, it's Patrick Mahomes trying to give confidence in Kadarius Tony as they're integrating him in the offense, giving him one of those shots outside. Game was relatively under control at that point, just trying to get him some involvement in the offense. So you know that's a thing that. Quarterbacks will do from time to time, especially mostly in practice. It's hey, let's try to give some of these guys involved, even during maybe they're not necessarily part of the progression. You know, you'll throw you'll throw the route to the backside fade route, and then you'll go back to the coach and say, Hey, look, I'm trying to get that guy involved. I really I know the progression here, here, and here, but I was just trying to get him involved. It could have been a little bit of trying to build some confidence for Kadarius Tony, or it could be that Patrick Mahomes just very quickly has built trust in Kadarius Tony. <laughs> it's one of those two things. Either mm-hmm. things is good. Either you are, you know, I don't see any way that that's a bad thing that they gave him an opportunity to catch a fade because I can, I don't know how many chances they've really given guys a play like that this season. I think well, it's I a, think it was a I think it was a little sluggo around if I remember right because that was the play that Mahomes hard pumped and then they threw mm-hmm. and Tony mm-hmm. ran the slant and go. I haven't seen it's it. Still, yeah, okay, but Mahomes go. threw it up for him. Mahomes threw it up for him. That it's is still fade I know I'm rules. With you. That's still no, like is. your fade I, rules there. I'm with you. They called they, they called a shot play for Tony when the Jaguars just cut the lead to 10. This is the closest the Jaguars had actually felt to being in the game. The Chiefs are driving a little bit. They call a shot play for Tony on a double move. It doesn't get wide open. Now there's a flag, but it doesn't get wide open, and Mahomes still tosses the ball up for him to go make a play. That matters. Like, I'm with you. That all absolutely matters, and whether it's the team with the trust or Mahomes with the trust, somebody felt good enough about him in that scenario to go ahead and throw that ball. Uh, we are going to hear again one more time from our dear pal, Tucker D. Franklin. Hey, sorry to interrupt again, but I've got to tell you about our sponsor, Trade Coffee. And going to a coffee shop is a great experience, but it's not something most of us can do every day. If you're looking for that delicious local coffee shop taste on a daily basis, it's so much easier to get that with Trade Coffee. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so easy for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment needed. It's wonderful. Whether you know what you're doing and you already know what kind of coffee you like or you're looking and you need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans or however you make it your coffee at home. They will send it to you. It's absolutely perfect. It's a win-win in my book there. Here's how you got to do it. You're going to upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering listeners a total of $30 off their subscription plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash KCSN. That's drinktrade.com slash KCSN for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. Drinktrade.com slash KCSN. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wow, Tucker changed in the middle of the, in that 15 minutes that we were we were gone. It's crazy. Let's talk about defense. Uh, Craig, open forum. Wherever you want to start with the defensive side of the ball, let's get let's get it going. What do you want? Trent McDuffie is re- no. That's that's how I treated the the post game. No, I, I, go I mean, for it. Uh, no, I mean, I, I've already kind of harped on. He's really good, guys. He's really, really good. I know that like some some charting sites put a whole bunch of catches on him when they're dumping the ball off underneath and these screens and these dump off bubbles and stuff like that. Don't listen to that. The, the real routes that he was challenged on, he got beat on one, played the others really, really well. Don't worry about him. I want to talk a little bit about this four-man pass rush and kind of how it's come along over the past three or four weeks. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's not been great. And frankly, it's not been great. It's not because we've all seen great. If you've been around the Chiefs since 2015 or later, you know what a great pass rush looks like. And this is not that for certain. However, they are getting contribution from so many people at this point. Mike Dana started this season ridiculously hot, like ultra white hot as a pass rusher and then missed some time. And I wondered when they brought him back, if he was going to be able to be as effective. They're using him on the interior on some of those dime looks, using him off the edge a little bit as well. Guess what? The pressures are still there. He's still rushing the passer and getting pressure at about seven and a half percent of his pass rush reps. That is really good, especially when you consider that he's also competing with a whole bunch of other people that have pass rush pressure rates around that you know sort of range. Frank Clark is over eight. Chris Jones is over seven, which is a miracle because Chris Jones has been playing just an absolute slog of snaps. He's playing just about every snap that he can get his hands on right now. So the fact that he's over 7% is awesome. Colin Saunders is over six and a half. You've got George Karloff just right at six. Carlos Dunlap is over eight. That is an accumulation of players that on any given play are going to affect the passer. And it's so much so that we've seen offenses come out and try and adopt a quicker passing game, try and take the ball out of the quarterback's hands because they can't protect against this four-man rush, all of them. And now it's really easy, double Chris Jones, let these other guys beat you one-on-one. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I can't remember a whole bunch of times that it's happened. It just kind of happens consistently. It trickles in and it's enough to affect the passer. And it's starting to accumulate over about the past three or four weeks. We are seeing this pass rush start to get home. Obviously, it got home with five sacks this week. It's definitely kind of coming together as this like complimentary team pass rush thing. Um, you can watch an entire drive, and if you just pick a specific player and watch him rush the passer, it's gonna look gross. It's gonna look bad because at least eight, nine of the reps, they are gonna get locked up and do what looks like nothing. But then when you take a step back and start to just look at everybody there's like like craig was kind of saying somebody just seemed somebody besides christians chris jones is in his own little box over here yes he is. but somebody else seems to just be winning consistently enough these past month of football 
then it's mattering. The four-man pass rush, again, isn't great. I think when they run up against actually good quarterbacks, when they run up against actually good offenses, I do think it's still quite a problem that they have, especially we're going to talk about, I assume, the secondary in a second, but some of the questionable coverage calls that they still make on the back end doesn't always make it easier for the pass rush, right? But they're doing a better job of somebody is just always showing up to help Chris Jones out throughout the game. There's no specific person. And I, I don't want to say they're not doing this, but it's not like they're just winning a bunch on stunts and twists either. Yes, there's some in there, but it's not like they are gaming up pressures and getting, you know, Dunlap's spiking or looping into an open gap. No, just three plays a game. He's going to all of a sudden torch a right tackle just kind of out of nowhere. He might not be great for the other 25 pass rush reps, but those three plays, he's torching a tackle. And if he gets a pressure out of it, that matters. And same with Dana and Saunders and Carl Loftus. So it is, it's just kind of like a, it's a volume approach. Somebody's just always doing something and they are definitely improving. If they keep playing like this and Clark returns the way he played the two weeks before he was suspended, they might be looking okay on the pass rush and then they can blitz less. And then when they start to blitz, it can be more effective because you're not seeing as much, you know, max pass pro and stuff like that going forward. So that is the next big step here is the Frank Clark return. And hopefully he kind of slots back in at the same level he was before. I'll just, that gives us a perfect transition into some of Craig's <laughs> coverage charting. How, are you all the way done with that? Like through this week or are you just, are you still not, catching up or what's it? Not through this week. I, I, I am just through uh, last week here at this point. Yeah. Still some interesting trends that you are seeing Craig. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This team loves cover two. Uh, just absolutely <laughs> adores running cover two this year. Uh, Trent McDuffie got back, and one of my hypotheses was when he got back that the Chiefs may mix it up a little bit more. Steve Spagnolo did not lean on just straight cover two like at all since he's been in Kansas City. Like they've really done a good job of mixing, matching, running some cover three, running plenty of quarters, plenty of split field match stuff. They're just running a lot of cover two right now and it, it's a lot of very basic cover two for most of the game and it works and i don't it, it part of that's because the length that they have in a guy like joshua williams and Jalen watson they can kind of shrink some of those lanes a little bit the safety play hasn't been particularly good and they've not been challenged down the field because you've got two deep safety so even if your safety play is not great you still got quarterbacks that are gonna pull it down because they don't want to challenge it they, um you know they don't trust that it's going to get home it's mostly been like the middle of the field in the intermediate area that you've seen teams attack. And that makes sense for how this cover two is being run. You got a lot of targets at Legarius Sneed underneath, a lot of targets at Nick Bolton underneath, Willie Gay, Darius Harris, you know, Leo Chanel, whoever it is that's opposite of him. There's lots of targets underneath. And I wondered if it would change with Trent McDuffie back. And it really hasn't. Like maybe they're running a little bit more cover two man rather than just a straight cover two static zone they might be running that a little bit but you would also expect that against like the tennessee titans you know you those guys don't scare you or against the jacksonville jaguars you can run a little more cover two man because they're not super dynamic receiving weapons that you really feel like you got to box somebody with a zone you can play a little bit more man so i don't think that we are seeing the kind of giant shift that i thought we might when some of you know when Trent McDuffie returned to the situation now still look good they're still doing a good job playing this cover two static zone but the longer this goes on the more I wonder if we're going to see 
any of those more exotic Steve Spagnuolo defenses, or if this is just what it's going to be from now until the end of the season, and we're just going to rely on the Chiefs defense to execute at a high level because everybody and their dog on offense knows the Chiefs are going to come out and just basically play cover two all game long. Look how many times the Jaguars tried to throw a smash concept in the first Mm -hmm. half of that game. Look how many times they challenged, specifically McDuffie, which I thought was a weird move to go at the one guy that probably played the most of that in college and has put the best film off of sinking under that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, hey, the the very first time they ran it, I guess it should have worked. Thornhill was late coming over the top. And I say late loosely. It's a hard ask for, you know, that safety to get there. However, you know, in that spot, he kind of has to recognize that a corner route is quite possible from there, and that is going to be his man. So he was a little late coming into it. But yeah, it's just teams know they're running cover two a lot, and they still keep doing it. And it's it's not great. And that's where you start to get into this issue that I see with the Chiefs defense. Like, here's the time, my turn to throw the wet blanket on the defense. The middle of the field pass defense is bad. Mm-hmm. It's bad. I mean, not only are they playing with split safeties, like once Craig finishes charting, I, I'm going to make him look up something because outside the Raiders game and the Titans game, I want to know how many middle field close coverages they've run. Just removing those two games because that's a, those two teams, I know they played more single high because they were running the ball going with heavy personnel. Outside of that, it feels like they barely have a single high safety, right? So you're all of a sudden playing too high. That leaves the deep middle of the field open. You have Nick Bolton, who's almost always going to be manning some part of the middle field coverage. And while he hasn't been abused in coverage this year, you see his lack of range often. You see his lack of ability to drop under deeper crossing routes and things like that. So you look when the Jaguars started to have success, they did two things. They just threw the ball to Christian Kirk over and over again. But then they also were attacking the middle of the field a little bit. And the Chiefs safeties and linebackers weren't able to make plays. Guess what? It's pretty easy to throw the ball in cover two sometimes over the middle of the field, especially if you're not getting super strong safety play on the back end of it. So I I do see some potential causes for concern going forward, but they're winning games and playing good defense with the most basic football coverage that has ever existed in the history of the game. It's like, that's also worth noting. The most basic Pop Warner, the first coverage just about anyone learns after cover the guy across from you, they're having success with. Mm -hmm. Eh, I'd argue three. I'd rather, I'd I'd argue... Every high school based out of three, like, especially like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. This isn't 2012. Kids didn't throw the football <laughs> when we played high school. That's true. <laughs> As from training, when I was in high school, one team played cover two. Shout out Central Heights <laughs> High School. Uh, everybody else based out of three. Um, yeah, it, it, it could be. Hey, look, you know, we've talked a little bit about this secondary a little bit. And there's the, the safety room we all kind of agreed not playing particularly strong right now. And the cornerback group's really young. That's two really bad combinations um, to, to try to navigate. And, you know, I, I think that's one thing we're all taking into consideration. Maybe there's enough runway throughout the rest of the year that Steve Spagnuolo continues to get a little bit more comfortable and acclimated, you know, to these young cornerbacks which we're going to talk about and wax poetic on in just a second. But I just, I just wonder if, if there's just a little bit of just, you know, continuing to build towards this, but like just the pieces not fitting in the back end right now, right yet. And maybe we'll get there when it matters the most. Um, Maddie, just, oh, just for you, reference, um, oh. 
approximately uh, 25% of the middle of the field close coverages that had the Chiefs have run on the year have come in the Titans and the Raiders game right there. So quarter of them in one game. It's actually a little bit lower than I thought. So yeah, yeah I would have, I would have assumed it'd be higher. I wonder, I wonder if the Adams potential threat of him deep maybe made them stick out deep in that Raiders mm-hmm. game. I don't know. I just remember it was being heavy personnel a lot. So look at this. This, this is why he's the Renaissance man. You ask. See, well, and the receive. Titans barely threw the ball. So even if they did run, like they could have run exclusively middle of the field closed in that game. And it still barely would have moved the percentages well, yeah, because they, they threw it, you know, all of like four times. So yeah. Renaissance man Craig Stout was working on a drone literally right before this show started. Let's talk about those young cornerbacks, though, um, because they continue to give you reason for optimism. They continue to give you, um, you know, some excitement because they've got a first round pick that, in a small sample size, looks like a blue chip, and they've got two day three cornerbacks that are playing at a level that gets you excited about the future of this football team from a cost controlled secondary perspective, like. Three of these guys, Matthew, look like prime to to be solid contributors or better. I, I think between the post game show and I'm sure what we've you know already said, like we all are extremely excited for what Trent McDuffie has done, right? Like even removing the ridiculous uh, pass breakup that he had on the vertical route and looking at the other time that he carried a guy vertically and the one real, I guess he gave up two catches. I, I count the speed out against him, so I I will say it was two, it's fair. but. Fair. He gave up the deep one, but it was a dive. It was a diving catch. You can't get much better coverage than he had on that. It was a perfect throw and a diving catch. Like Trent McDuffie has been outstanding. I don't even. I'll let Craig go in farther if he wants to right now. But I mean, like, he he's on guys like a backpack. Like he's literally strapped up to him like like a backpack, a rucksack, whatever you want to do. He's just wrapped around them on all of their limbs, and it's great. Other side, Joshua Williams strong year. I think everyone's still going to go back to the Bills game where he got beat by Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis. Wow. What that's, that's rough. Um, <laughs> besides that QB rating against him, 84.2, 19 targets, only nine receptions. Teams are only are averaging six yards per target when they throw the ball at Joshua Williams. Like he's having a really good year. And Jalen Watson was really good to start the year. And I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but I think it, we talked about it. I think Joshua Williams overtaking that role once we started to see him kind of made some sense. I just think there was a little bit higher ceiling, and I think the play is bearing that out. Watson seemed to have his hands full a little bit more with not Gabe Davis and not Stefan Diggs at times, whereas Joshua Williams, like that's the only time he's getting beat. So Trent McDuffie's getting all the applause. Joshua Williams just still flying under the radar. Like people I said are going to remember those touchdowns, but he has been exceptional since then. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've seen some some instances here. Steve Spagnuolo kind of rolled him in, rotated him in a little bit there a couple of weeks ago. Now all of a sudden you're seeing the roles flipped where Joshua Williams is the guy that's getting more reps. Jalen Watson is rotating in a little bit. I think it is very interesting in a Steve Spagnuolo defense that loves to blitz its corners. They trust Joshua Williams to blitz more than any other corner not named LeJarius Sneed, who is basically a Sam linebacker in this defense. So um, <clears throat> I think it's very interesting that they trust him to do that. He's been a very good blitzer as well, and he wants to hit. You've seen him make some great, great open field tackles. Like the, You see him do a lot of things. It's really just the ball skills at this point that I look at for Joshua Williams. I say, man, if that can improve a couple of ticks, 
now all of a sudden you've got yourself a really truly you know physical stud boundary corner that you can trust over there and you can get matchups like we're seeing this weekend i'm not going to get too too much into it where you can have him follow around a mike williams and you could have trim mcduffie follow around a keenan allen and be very comfortable with what you are doing in your secondary man up against them all game long and just say hey this is what you're built for go out and win that. Steve Spagnuolo loves those kinds of guys. We are seeing him become more and more of those, you know, of that type of guy. I am excited to see more Joshua Williams, just as excited as I am about Trent McDuffie, because those two on the outside, I do think are the best two. I really do think that they're the best two. And it's really nice to have a Jalen Watson in your pocket too, because he's got some really flashy, great moments as well. It's why they traded Rashad Fenton for a conditional seventh you know this this wasn't something that you're trying to get immensely better it's just one of those where it's like hey he's not going to play anymore we're not going to be rotating him in let's just see if we can get literally anything because these rookies have been so good all year long hey stickers slaps and spirits time uh i'm gonna go and hey if, if you're in the comments leave a comment first off hit the like button then hit the subscribe button then leave a comment and tell us who you think a game ball should go to. I'm going to go uh, a sticker to Tommy Townsend for the greatest of all time, trying to get a roughing the punter uh, penalty. Uh, it was in, it was elite. There's my helmet sticker for the week. Matthew, uh, butt slapping a good job. Ooh. Who gets it? I actually have a lot of options. I won't list them all to make you mad. So I won't talk about Colin Saunders. I won't talk about MVS. Um, I won't talk about Noah Gray, but I will say Trey Smith. Um, we you know, a little critical over the past couple weeks because he has not, I don't think he has been as good as he was last year. We, you know, hype, you know, theorize that maybe he's dealing with some injuries or trying to figure it out. I think he was a lot better uh this week. He actually played an excellent game. He was bullying guys. When he was pulling around on, you know, some of his pull blocks, he was making contact, holding it. He was putting guys in the dirt. So, yeah, Trey Smith, I thought, had a really good bounce back game for what his last couple had been. So, nice little butt slap for Trey Smith. Whole ass bottle of vodka going to Joe Cullen. Anytime you get five sacks and that much pressure on Trevor Lawrence, that man was rattled. That defensive line the blitz packages everything that has come along with joe cullen what he's doing up front with that group of guys he's got chris jones playing his best year ever i will say it i know he had a 15 and a half sack season this is a better year this is a more complete year for chris jones so joe cullen getting the most out of this group of guys whole ass bottle of vodka at the midway point and i'll have a whole one at the end after they win the super uh, we are up. Oh, we are going. Steve Wilkinson is giving a game ball to Kadarius Tony. I think that is an appropriate way to close this out. Uh, K, <laughs> was it TD T Doni? What, what, what was it? No, you keep trying, actually. Uh, keep trying until you get it. We'll close the show out once you get it oh, right. It was T Darius Tony, and that's been the Casey Laboratory. Thank you so much. We'll catch you later. Shout out, Prince Tiga. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.